Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm stuck in grief. I think we all are because of the length of time and all the disappointments and the letdowns and how much it has taken of our lives. 20 years ago, the mother of Daniel Morgan had waited 10 years for the police to investigate her son's murder. It seemed an intolerable time to wait, even then. Untold, the Daniel Morgan murder. We were so little informed and ill-informed during their investigation. It was almost, uh, I think they really would have liked us out of the way. I'm Peter Jukes, and I'll be following the Morgan family as they continue their battle against obstruction and intimidation. If you think you know this story, you haven't heard anything yet. As for intimidation, Isabel, the grieving mother, would wake to strange phone calls in the middle of the night with someone playing this tune down the phone. Welcome to episode seven. While the Morgan family was stuck in grief, dead Daniel world, as Daniel's sister Jane called it, what about that corrupt detective agency, Southern Investigations, now run by Jonathan Rees and former Detective Sergeant Sidney Fillory? Ten years previously, both had been arrested on suspicion of murdering Daniel, the founder of the company. What had happened to them since 1997? Well, we're going to find out. We're going to go undercover into Southern Investigations in the company of former detective Derek Haslam who'd been recruited by senior Met officers in late 1997 to do just that. Cheers is a covert human intelligence source. Basically, I was being employed back into the police force, set without pay. Derek fled London in 1987 after death threats following the alleged suicide of his friend DC Alan Taffy Holmes during a major internal affairs corruption probe into a senior officer Commander Ray Adams. So before we go into sudden investigations, let's just ponder these two strands, Daniel Morgan and his supposed friend, Alan Holmes. These two violent deaths happened within four months of each other in the same part of London. 
These two men, it seems, were jointly trying to sell a story of police corruption to the press earlier that year. Could this just be a coincidence? Are these deaths actually in any way related? Well, by late 1997, senior officers briefing Derek Haslam surely thought they were. He was able to tell me, it said it had been confirmed that they had been seen at a newspaper. They have confirmation. And Holmes was taking a back, very much a background seat and appeared a bit worse for wear for drink. And it was Daniel that was doing the hard negotiation. I think it was mentioned that it might have been news, news of the world. But Derek's targets would not be easy to crack. Recent fillery were canny first in all the modern police techniques of covert investigations. How was Derek going to fool the ex-cop and the private detective? Well, he'd left the police force ten years previously, after threats to his life. He'd still kept in contact with them both, so Derek came up with the story he was working in security for a scientific research institute, which was receiving threats from animal rights groups. He also said he was thinking of setting up his own private investigations agency. With this good cover story or legend, he approached Jonathan Rees. So, yeah, he was glad to see me. Uh, he was still obviously in with Adams and Hanahan as things going on. And eventually, it's quite easy, really. He sort of, I, my sort of legend was disgruntled cop who'd been badly treated, made to leave a job for no reason, his actions his own. Uh, hated Adams, so he had to pretend that he hated Adams. Yet I, know, I knew for a fact that Adams was supplying him with work. Just to catch up, Commander Ray Adams had been the senior officer under investigation in a large internal corruption probe, Operation Russell, in 1987. Alan, Taffy Holmes, committed suicide, claiming he was being forced to inform on his friend and former boss. Adams was exonerated of the criminal allegations in that inquiry but, a few years later, was the partial focus of yet another anti-corruption probe, Operation Athona. He left the Metropolitan Police in 1993 and, soon after, by strange coincidence, ended up working for Rupert Murdoch, reporting direct to the chair of News Corps as head of European security for its satellite TV encryption service, NDS. Around the same time, a journalist and co-author of The Untouchables, Laurie Flynn, was researching police corruption for The Guardian with his colleague Michael Gillard. They would both meet Reese and Fillory in their favourite South London pubs and drink all day. They were often joined by Derek Haslam. So there you had Reese and Fillory trying to spin these two journalists, Gillard and Flynn, who were trying themselves to get Reese and Fillory to spill the beans. Meanwhile, Haslam sitting in the middle, was spying on them all. Laurie Flynn, co-author of The Untouchables, gives us a flavour of that world. We spent a lot of time in the sewer of uh, South London and we got quite close to Sid Fillory and to Jonathan Rees and we did this by drinking a lot of booze in a number of the unpleasant little England pubs that they tended to frequent, which were full of white Londoners lamenting uh, the fate of England while taking on a lot of drink. They really were, particularly Reese was deeply racist, but still in some sort of way quite 
alive. The two men liked one another. The, the way it worked in their office was they'd hand out the jobs to their various associates in the morning, say by about 11.30, and then about 11.30 or 12, they'd go to their little pub in Thornton Heath and start drinking. Uh, both of them were magnificently corpulent, much more so than myself, and uh, but they were they were real tubbies, and they they liked one another. They they really really liked one another. They were deeply attached to one another, <laughs> which uh, isn't perhaps so surprising, given that uh, one of them was the chief suspect for Daniel's murder, and the other one was the officer who dealt with him uh, immediately after the murder and who let him go home without his clothes being retained or without his car being searched and who later succeeded the dead man, Daniel, in the business. It was interesting. At the same time, it could be equally soul-destroying because you're purporting to be someone that you're not. You're having to think like someone you're not. Like Reese could be quite extremely racist. Uh, his politics were different. And things like all the things perhaps I wasn't. Uh, and then they'd be talking about things and criminality and this and that. And they basically, he was, he was a weird concoction because on one hand, he was like a frustrated police groupie. He'd have loved to be a policeman, but not bother taking to court, just taking him to the bank or the cash machine instead. That would have suited him. But uh, it was nice to get home. You know, on the way home, once I used to start that drive home, if you'd been down there a couple of days or something like that, it was nice. You could start. Well, you get home, you were, you're back to yourself, or you think you was, but it's still in your head, isn't it? For the first year of Derek's undercover mission, he met his handlers weekly. He'd write up a report of what had happened, meet his handlers at a discreet and secret location. They would copy his notes, get a verbal debriefing, and then burn them. But as his handlers discovered more and more about what was going on in Southern investigations, something seems to have shifted. For some reason, the investigation even changed its name. Initially called Operation Nigeria, the targeting of Southern investigations was renamed Operation Two Bridges. Does this mean they also alter the focus away from Daniel and Taffy and onto something else? Oh, they were running right. And this is the, one of the first reports ever put in uh, early on, very early on, and that was later used by a senior member of CIB2. And I put a report in saying Southern Investigations exist solely as a conduit for obtaining illicit information and corrupting police officers from within. The intelligence indicates that Fillory and Reese are corruptors of police officers and participants in organised crime. Reese and Fillory have for a number of years been involved in the long-term penetration of police intelligence sources. They have ensured that they have live sources within the Metropolitan Police Service and have sought to recruit sources within other police forces. Their thirst for knowledge is driven by profit to be accrued from the media. Well, I think what triggered Reese really woke him up to it was John Ross getting £50,000 and then holding a party at the press club, turning up dressed in a bin liner with an orange in his mouth. And I think that crystallised in Reese's mind where the real money was, you know, more than local... Because local authorities can make you wait for your money. But this was... Uh, you know, and, and plus the fact, lots of, lots of things... That they had this network of people telling them things about investigations, what was going on, things at the yard didn't realise for one minute were newsworthy uh, or all of a sudden you had a different police force a police force that could get paid for passing on oh I nicked 
so-and-so the other day, and guess who was in the back of his car? So it seems that recent fiddling in the 10 years since Daniel's murder had really capitalised on the media aspect of their work. Paddy French, an investigative journalist and TV reporter who's been covering this case for decades, has an app new title for Southern Investigations by this point. Well, the title I came up with for the series that I did was the number one corrupt detective agency. And it encapsulated that kind of sense of an outfit that was completely lawless about the way it went about making its money. That, in a, in a funny kind of way, it didn't know the difference between right and wrong, and even if it had, it didn't care. The trick was not being caught. And, and then the other thing that they were doing was they understood the power of information. Information is power. They understood that absolutely to their fingertips, particularly Reese, I think. Southern Investigation's main client was still news of the world, and information is power when it comes to politics and personal scandals. Southern Investigations had been involved with news of the world in the bugging of culture minister David Meller, who had an affair with an actress. Meller was threatening to create tougher regulation for the British press, but would soon resign. Southern Investigations were also involved just before the 1992 election in a letter stolen from a solicitor's office about an extramarital affair involving the leader of the Liberal Democrat Party, Paddy Ashdown. So they provided a strategic political asset for news of the world and perhaps the agenda of its proprietor. The key thing about a newspaper is not only what it prints, it's what it doesn't print, what it leaves out, and what its owners or senior officers do with the information that they decide to keep private to themselves, whether they ever use it in some kind of blackmailing way in a business sense, or even to manipulate a government minister. So much for the theory, but what's the actual evidence that Southern Investigations was gathering information illicitly? As they always say, follow the money, and Paddy French has seen the paper trail. Well, around about that time, they'd begun to perfect it, I guess. And so in their invoices, for example, and the way they describe their business, there are clues to what is actually going on. So, for example, they say, um, for example, tracing somebody or a company's house search, and the amounts are £30, £40, £50. And that's more or less what you would pay in the market for that kind of information, which is perfectly legal. Then you have these descriptions of things like, well, they're classed as a cluster as confidential inquiries. And confidential inquiries suddenly start to be much more expensive, like £500 or £1,000. And the way in which they annotate it is to say building society statements, phone bill um, statements, stuff like that. And you immediately know that the... Com the the juxtaposition of confidential inquiries and the amounts of money and these cryptic descriptions is that what they're doing is unlawful. Reese and Fillory, the report went on, are alert, cunning and devious individuals who have current knowledge of investigative methods and techniques which may be used against them. They use some of these techniques in their own daily activities. 
So Derek's undercover operation in its first year and the reports he fed back to his handlers had revealed that Southern Investigations was an instrument of personal intrusion and potential blackmail for anyone who would pay. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. Against this almost industrial system of bugging, burglaring, bribes, what could the Morgan family do? Briefly, Alistair put his head above the parapet and managed to get some more coverage of his brother's case in The Guardian in 1998. But soon, the Morgan family found that intimidating spotlight of intrusion and surveillance turned on them. One evening I was coming back up the hill to our flat and I saw a couple of guys standing on a street corner where they could see the entrance to my flat and see me coming up the hill towards it. They were dressed like smartly dressed men in suits and they were just sort of loitering on a street corner and I just thought that's odd. Usually men in suits look as if they've got somewhere to go and they were just sort of loitering and looking, looking awkward and incongruous on a street corner. And I went home and I didn't think anything of it, you know. And then the following evening again, there was a couple of guys again in suits. Not the same guys? I, I don't know because I didn't really, hadn't really taken much notice of them the first time. Again, on the same corner, hanging around... And I thought, there's something odd going on here. And I, I went home and I rang my mother. And I said to her, Mum, I think I'm being watched. And she said, that's funny. She said, yesterday, she said, I was coming home 
I was just putting the key in the door to open my front door and I heard behind me click 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 and, and she said she turned round and there you know only three or four yards length of that little garden path she had was a woman with a camera photographing her she turned round the woman took several more photographs of her got into a car which was driven by a man and just whizzed off she was papped yeah and she thought well that is odd so she rang my sister in germany and i said mama and cameras and her being photographed and i said well this is really really odd now because at the week you know a couple of days ago i was driving to ratio and there was a photographer in the ditch with a telephoto lens. So within sort of two or three days, all three of us in three, me in Germany, my mother in Wales and Alistair in Scotland, have felt that people are taking photos of them or, or, or watching them. Alistair was so worried by this surveillance, he took Kirsten into hiding. And of course, at the time, he had no idea sudden investigations were so embedded with the tabloid press. He feared it was a criminal element or corrupt police. But it wasn't all bad news and bad press in this era. Around this time, the Morgan family began to be represented by a lawyer, Raju Butt. He'd specialised for years in police misconduct cases, but even for Raju, the full story of the Daniel Morgan murder came as a bit of a shock. There can be no doubt about it, and I've said this publicly before, that... Alistair's story, the story of Daniel Morgan, represents the most serious criminality on the part of the police that I've ever come across. It is uniquely serious in 30 years of doing this work. Throughout those years, remember, this is 1999, so you're now 12 years on in his journey, he felt he had a lot to offer to anyone who was seriously interested in investigating Daniel's murder, but no one, not anyone in the Metropolitan Police nor anyone in Hampshire Police, had ever taken the trouble to sit down with him and take a statement from him. Unfortunately, just as during the first police interview on the day after Daniel's murder in 1987, the police in 1999 seemed less interested in Alistair's allegations and more in his motivations, as if trying to discredit him as a witness in advance. We commonly see where a complainant uh, or the family, a bereaved family who've lost a loved one in custody, they often find their own characters the subject of scrutiny first and foremost. And Alistair had a sense that that's what these two officers were doing. At best, when I saw the statement eventually, because I put my interest on behalf of Alistair on the record with Mr. Clark and asked him to send me a copy of the statement, and when I saw it, I saw that at best it was an exercise in appeasement rather than investigation. While the Morgan family were getting fobbed off by the senior ranks of Scotland Yard, there were major developments in Operation Nigeria stroke two bridges. And back in South London, Derek Haslam's handlers were so concerned about his report, they decided to place several bugs in the premises of sudden investigations. At first, Derek was asked to steal the keys, but he pointed out recent fillery would just change the locks. He came up with a better idea of taking impressions of the keys. 
is having to find a moment where you can slip a set of keys out a door then find a moment to go to the toilet and these things they've given me you know it wasn't very well thought through because uh, it was summer I had a pair of chinos and a shirt and I've got a carrier bag with about sort of uh, three kilos of heavy metal boxes with plasticine in them and there's some problems with some of the levels uh, but eventually got in there set up all the equipment but really it'd be just as well putting a listening device on the roof of the, the pub across the road really because that's where they used to go for their lunch and Reese was known for his loud voice he's always been told he's too loud with bugs placed in the offices of sudden investigations in 1999 for a few months a light was shone into one of the most disturbing corners of British society. In one small office, members of the press, private investigators and corrupt police met to sell and trade personal information, most of it gathered illegally. This was the beating heart of what former Prime Minister Gordon Brown has called the criminal media nexus. We're going to listen in with actors reading from transcripts. I've got QCs, I've got judges, I've got people I can pick up the phone to any time of the day and say, can you do something for me, please? And it's done. That was Jonathan Rees, caught on tape boasting about his connections. And as the tapes went on, they soon revealed he knew for well the crimes he was commissioning. There's big stories nearly every day with good information on the Jill Dando murder. We found out one of our bestest friends is also on that fucking murder squad. But he hadn't told us nothing. We've got a couple of VAT investigators that are prepared to speak to and get information from. Some of the people they get involved with, I mean, they could, for the sake of shifting or losing a piece of paper, they could earn fortunes. But they won't do it. It's very, very rare you come across a bent customs officer. We have got a couple in there that will take a drink to give information, but they won't take a drink for doing anything else, even though they could get nicked for that. And they are both ex-Met police. But of course the Police National Computer, that was a different thing, because that's a very powerful and potent source of information. Um, and there you needed, you needed normally to have a corrupt police officer or a civilian employee to get the information and they would only do it for a pretty substantial amount of money. As well as bribing cops and other public officials for information, Southern would deploy a technique known as blagging or pretexting, basically impersonating someone to get hold of confidential records. These things aren't difficult to get. There are examples of people that I've talked to connected to the royal family, for example, who said things like, um, they, their bank was rung up by blaggers working for Southern Investigations who were saying things like, um, this is my password, that was wrong. They'd ring up again another password, that was wrong. But after the 19th attempt or something like that, they got through. Recent Fillery's main client, earning them over £150,000 a year, was still News of the World, though it's now senior news executive Alex Marinchak. News of the World were particularly interested in stories about the royal family at this time, especially under the editorship of Piers Morgan, who focused the paper on celebrity elements during the 1990s. Here's Rees boasting about his data-gathering skills to a cop who had a lead on a royal protection officer caught taking steroids. I can find a vehicle's details, 
value, insurance, class, mileage, as well as its VIN and chassis numbers. Have to be registered under the Data Protection Act. Costs 400 a year. Ooh. You also have to have a consumer credit licence. I can check yours right now. Go on then. It's a cherished transfer. Guide value 3,150 quid. Insurance Group 15. And not on finance. If it was on <laughs> finance, it would give full details. Agreement number. Fucking brilliant. For example, in the Daily Mirror, when they were supplying stuff to the Daily Mirror, there would be graphic descriptions of how much uh, Peter Dukes was paying for his mortgage. You know, It would be whatever it was. And there's no way that I, as an investigative reporter, could ever get that kind of information. It's not possible unless you do it illegally. Notice Paddy mentioned the Daily Mirror, another British tabloid. Well, it was no surprise that recent fillery were beginning to work for other newspapers at this point. By now, Southern were costing news of the world so much that the Sunday tabloid's notoriously tight-fisted managing editor, Stuart Kuttner, threatened to withhold payment. Interestingly, it's also during this phase that the news of the world begins to employ full-time the notorious phone hacker, Glenn Mulcair. Marin checked they had to keep him with because he was a the means to the cash flow, because in that later stage, the cash was, I don't know, it was after Marin Check had gone off to Northern Ireland, cut Stuart, Stuart Cutman, then, was it, were in cut, dispute. Yeah, because he took over, and I think he tightened up all the invoicing, and they hated him. Yeah. Reese hated him with, uh, with a you know, real sort of venom, and um, that was why, because they were waiting for their money, and like you said, they'd actually end up threatening him with a court action. Well, it starts out with the news of the world, and then, of course, the News of the World get their own man. They then fade away a bit. And then Gary Jones, who worked for the News of the World with Piers Morgan, um, he then, when Piers Morgan goes to the Mirror, very shortly afterwards, he moves to the Mirror and he becomes the head of the dark arts at the Daily Mirror. And he then is dealing with Southern investigations and a huge amount of work starts to come through the mirror. And the, the, I think there's no question about this, that Piers Morgan knew the value of Gary Jones and he probably knew the value of Southern Investigations and they turned the blind eye to, you know, what was going on sort of thing. The Royal Protection Officer on Steroids was one such story Reese was looking to sell to the Mirror Group. Here he is again, chatting to the cop about it. Was she a bird in Buckingham Palace? Yeah, I'll get a little bit more out of him. No, 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 don't ask him. If he just gives us her name, or his name, and then that's all we need. Has the block been suspended? No. He had his pink certificate taken away. I thought he went sick. I don't know. I found out more. Yeah, especially if he went sick. But especially shagging the woman in there. <laughs> it don't make him a bad person. No, 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 he's a good man. He can join our gang any time. <laughs> <laughs> when it came to the legality of what Reese was doing, as we will hear, the newspapers or journalists could hardly plead ignorance. How we know that is true is when the Daily Mirror Accounts Department ring up Southern Investigations and speak, they talk to Jones first of all, and he then speaks to Reese, and he says, my Accounts Department want more details about what we're doing because they're getting vague invoices and they don't want to pass them sort of thing. And Reese goes ballistic and says, we can't, I can't tell you what, what it is. You know what it is. What we're doing is illegal, isn't it? 
You know I don't want people coming in here and nicking us for criminal offences. But the conversations caught on tape weren't all just about the press. There was also the unsolved murder of the former founder of Southern Investigations lurking in the background. By now, several cops of Reese's circle had been convicted for corruption, especially one called Duncan Hanrahan. And Reese was acutely aware this could spell danger for him. Hanrahan said what they want to do is fuck us all. He said they keep talking about the fucking Morgan murder every time they see me. They tried to use him as a supergrass, but they sussed him out and fucked him off. He's the one we thought they were using to try and nick me for the murder. He'll come out with a little bit of bollocks, but I'll be able to pick the truth out of it. Why was Reese so cocky and confident? Well, acting undercover, Derek Haslam soon learned they were targeting the deputy assistant commissioner at the time, John Stevens. Stevens was overseeing the operation against Southern Investigations, signing and renewing the warrants for the bug in their premises. Hearing about this, Derek had to warn his handlers that their boss was also under surveillance and a target of the dark arts. Now, Sir John Stevens was someone that Reese mentioned to us early on as someone he was interested in. I imagine in Reese's mind, he was hoping that that would weigh in his and Sydney's favour. I had to tell my lot, I said, they're aware of Steve John Stevens' affair and he's misused the Met Police flying club plane. And, uh, oh, yeah, we have to pass that on. Of course, Reese was the master of salacious gossip, but none of this has been substantiated. We'll come back to what happened to Sid Fillery in another podcast. But in the course of their brief probe into Southern investigations, the surveillance of the third Daniel Morgan murder inquiry discovered around 30 crimes related to police officers and journalists. But they also discovered that Reese was committing other crimes and was offering, for a large sum of money, to incriminate the estranged wife of a disgruntled jeweller, Simon James. Reese planned to have someone plant 15 wraps of cocaine in the wife's car and then pay to have a corrupt police officer, Austin Warns, make sure she would be arrested. An innocent woman, a schoolteacher, would be sent to prison, and Reese's client would get custody of the child. Running out of time, the supposed third murder inquiry finally did something about Daniel Morgan. They created a trigger event in an attempt to get the suspects to incriminate themselves on tape. They planted an article about new alleged intelligence on the murder in the Daily Telegraph. Alistair's really excited. What on earth is going on? I rushed out and bought the Daily Telegraph and I read this article. I, I mean, it was a long time ago now. Well, it was about the police uncovering new intelligence about my brother's murder, knowing the identity of the getaway driver and then the, um, the make of the getaway car. I was astonished by this because... I thought, well, why haven't the police been telling me about this? You know, they know why are they telling the uh, country or the, the readership of the Daily Telegraph before they're telling me? They had put this trigger event. They had written this article in the Telegraph. Now, I had no idea what was going on then, but it triggered conversation in the offices of Southern Investigations. Fuck 
fucking wankers. No witnesses, no forensic evidence. We read this fucking article in the Telegraph, didn't we? Well, what that means, who knows? I'd say it was good news because nobody's ever alleged that John was driving the getaway vehicle. We've read all the statements and Marincheck has said he's right on top. And he then rang Roy Clark, who was uh, head of the complaints investigation branch, and Clark had said to him that he would come round in two weeks to his office and explain. Strangely, Roy Clark turned up a week earlier than planned and revealed all to Raju without the family there. As a result of the intelligence they had gathered, they were now able to identify precisely what had happened, who killed Daniel Morgan. They were able to identify who the actors were, who had done what, including who was driving the getaway car and where it ended up, which is what that Telegraph article was about. I think they were overwhelmed by the volume of what was happening. The Kim James thing had to be acted upon. It would have been no excuse if they hadn't acted upon it. And at the same time, I suppose it was quite high profile because you got uh, Austin Bournes, uh, and they had to be dealt with. And I think perhaps the murder investigation took second place to the rest of the stuff that was coming in. And thereby bring to an end what had been an investigation into Daniel's murder. And remember, this was an investigation that had not been revealed in any sense or form to Alistair or his family by that stage. And we were given forewarning of this by the police. I was in India and I got a text message to say, Reese was going to be arrested, but not for the murder. This is not a whodunit anymore. It's more like a can they still get away with it? Come back next week for the fourth murder inquiry and fasten your seatbelts. Episode 7 was supported by Martin Orpin. Produced by Peter Dukes and Devia Mir. Soundtrack by Shemeli Mir. A Flame Flower Duende production. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, listen on the Acast app, or visit untoldmurder.com. The Bottle at the Bottom of the River by the Lemmingtons. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.